Yes. Amen. Want to be good when we get to heaven. You know, we're going to see our loved ones, but it's not going to be about them. It's going to be about Him. I want to see Jesus. Wow. All right. Well, we've had it something different this week during the conference. Oftentimes we have missionaries in, as we did years past, and a main speaker. And I like doing it like that, but I just, God put it on my heart to do it different this year. So each missionary got to testify and then preach. And so that left three, and we got four services, so that left this service for me. So, no, God actually put it on my heart to preach this morning's message. So if you'll open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9 and Romans chapter 9, two different places. Brother Canon Bloom will preach the closing message at 1. Uh, Brother uh, DeLolta will show his uh, video for his burden for Santa Barbara, and then a canon will preach the closing message. So we want you to stay around for that as well. Matthew chapter 9 and Romans chapter 9. We're going to talk about four great needs in missions. Matthew 9, this is the Lord Jesus speaking in verse 36. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he, Jesus, unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore for the Lord, of the, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the music that stirred our hearts in the Bible study hour. And Lord, we just pray that you bless now this message in Jesus' name. Amen. If I ask you a question this morning, went around with a mic and said, What's the, what do you think the greatest need is in the world? I think it would probably... Maybe your lot in life would be the answer. Maybe for a homeless person, uh, maybe a, his greatest need would be to get off the streets or a, a good meal or a warm place to stay or something like that. Greatest need for a person with terminal cancer is a, maybe a quick cure or a, a treatment or something like that. A greatest need for a, the wife of a deployed serviceman would be my husband to get home safely or something like that. We could go on. But I submit to you today that the greatest need, there are some great needs in this matter of missions. We know that it's Christ's priority that we do missions. Uh, it's, very, it's been well established, and you hear it from me all the time, that the mission of the church is missions. If we're not reaching this world, this city for Christ, and the world for Christ, we might as well shut the door. But God left His church on the earth. He gave His commission to His church and left it on the earth to do his get the gospel to this world and it can be done the lord doesn't give a command that cannot be done so when he gave it there was not eight billion people on planet earth but there is now but he's not changed his mind he still wants us to get the gospel to this world so there must be a plan to do it though a plan and i just want to submit to you four great needs this morning i feel like that are in missions first of all there needs to be heart involvement, heart involvement. Paul said in verse 1 and 2, 
He said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. That word great means massive or enormous. Heaviness is the word sorrow or grief or pain or an annoyance, a, a heavy depression. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's, it's sorrow, a consuming grief. Where? It's in his heart. Paul had a real heartache. He had a real heartache. And the innermost part of him, that heart, was hurting so bad. Why? Well, verse 3 says why. For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, according to the flesh, uh, um, uh, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul was an Israelite. Paul was a Jew. He got saved on the road to Damascus. And he had a heart for the Jewish people. He knew he was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he had a heart for the Jewish people. When Paul went to town, the first place he went was the synagogue because he knew he could get a hearing there. Second place he went was the jail because he got locked up. But he had a heart for his own kinsmen. He had a, such a heart that he said, I wish that I could go to hell if they could be saved. Now, he knew that wasn't possible. But this is God's word. This isn't just words. We're not like, oh, yeah, right, Paul. No, God recorded it. This man had a heart ache in his heart for his people. And I, I want to say to you today that we'll never get the job done unless we have a heart to get the job done. There needs to be a heart involvement. This heart involvement led Paul to give his life for the cause of Christ. He said in Acts chapter 20, he said, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my race. You see, so many people count their life dear unto themselves. But Paul laid his life down on the line. He was willing to die for the cause of Christ. He had a heart involvement. Being missions-minded is good enough, but my goal is to pastor this church and turn our church into a missions-hearted church, a missions-hearted church. Paul told the uh, earthly uh, the, the servants in Ephesians chapter 6 that they should do the work to their earthly boss, bosses from the heart. And if we ought to do our work for our earthly bosses from the heart, according to God's word, how much more should we do God's work from the heart? It takes the great commandment to do the great commission. What's the great commandment? Well, look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 35, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in thy law and the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So Jesus wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And then love our neighbor. Well, I submit to you that doing the gospel, getting the gospel to this world is the the best way to love your neighbor. And but it takes heart. It takes the great commandment, all your heart and soul and mind. God wants that as we do His work. We need a heart. We need to have a heart, first of all, for this world. Heart for this lost and dying world. For God so loved, what? The world. Right now, it, it, we just busted 8 million, billion people. 8 billion people on planet Earth. 8 billion people. Do you realize that out of that 8 billion a third have still never heard. 3.2 
billion, and that's probably more than about 41%, are considered unreached, no witnessing community, no, with, with no people group. They're, they're called the three no's. No Bible, no church, and no known believers. You realize that 87% of Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims do not personally know a Christian. And it could be that 87% of Christians don't personally know a Muslim, Buddhist, or, or Hindu. I doubt that in our city. We're a very international city. But I could probably take you to some places to do. we got a world that needs God. We, we, a third of the, this world have still never heard, no, there, no access to the Bible, no access to, to a Christian, no word of God in their language. It, the, the task is, is huge. Only 11% of this world are committed true followers of Jesus Christ. The task is huge. We need a world, a heart for this world. God still loves this world, and God loves every one of them. Jesus, in that verse we read in Matthew chapter 9, he looked on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I know, brother, when Brother Micah recently, and you can follow him on YouTube, I encourage you to do that. I followed him when he went to Myanmar recently, and just the multitudes of people. I know your heart, brother. I know when you walk through the multitudes of people, though you're passing out as many gospels as you can, your heart is moved with compassion for the multitudes of people. I know, brother. Now, Cannon, when you, get, you and Nancy walked the streets of China, your hearts were moved with the multitudes of people that need the gospel. There are multitudes of people in our city that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a heart for the world, their lost condition, and their eternal destiny. Knowing, therefore, Paul said, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I believe that means we know what the Bible says happens to a person without Jesus. Knowing the terror of the Lord and that we're going to stand before him one day and give an account for our life, we persuade men. We need a heart for our missionaries also. Paul, the missionary, told the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.7, he says, I have you in my heart. Well, I think the, the missionary-hearted church needs to have the missionaries in their heart too. That's why we bring them in. That's why we, we uh, put them before you. And their letters are out in the hall. We need to read those letters. And you can write them and know and get to know them. Be involved in their life as much as you can. Read their letters and, and get involved with their lives because that will give you more of a heart for them. And God will wake you up in the middle of the night and He'll put maybe the blooms on your heart. And you'll say, okay, Lord, which blooms? Because <laughs> there's a couple of them on the mission field. But God may put somebody on your heart in the middle of the night to pray for because you have them in your heart. That's what a missions hearted church is us. We just don't think about missionaries every now and then, but it's our heartbeat. It's our, it's our heartbeat. It's why we exist as a church. These flags aren't just up for decoration. They're up to keep before us all the time. By the way, missionaries, we leave them up year-round, right? Because I want to keep it before the heart of our people, the, the world on our heart. We need to be a missions-hearted uh, team. So there has to be heart involvement. Secondly, there needs to be prayer involvement. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says something interesting. Verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So he had a heart for them, and he said how he was grieved in his heart in chapter 9, but then in chapter 10 he says, I know that prayer moves the hand of God, and so he said, My heart and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had moved from just having it in his heart to praying for them. There needs to be prayer involvement. 
Later, he knew the importance of prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So when it comes to missions, some can go. And I pray that God would call somebody out of our church to go. Just put it on somebody's heart to go. Say, God, uh, Pastor, I, I, God put it on my heart. I want to go. I want to go. I want to be involved in this matter of world missions. Some can go. Most can give. But all can pray. All can pray. And we need to be involved in prayer. We, these missionaries here that are with us here and around the world, they need some intercessory missionaries, intercessory co-laborers. They give you their prayer card for a reason, to pray, to pray for them. And they, when they say, hey, we, we need your prayer, and I was a missionary for you, and I would say, we need your prayer more than we need your financial support. That's true. Now, we need both. I get that, and we get that, but they need your prayer. Here's some things we need to be involved in prayer. The, uh, I'll just give you some lines there. You can write it however you want to write it, but I, I just thought of some things. The missionary is invading enemy territory. Some of these countries that we send missionaries into have been dominated by Satan and his, and his cohorts for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Daniel chapter 10 talked about territorial prince, the prince of Persia, withstood the delivery of the answer of Daniel's prayer. I believe there's territorial demons in this world, and they are assigned to different areas in this world. And uh, some of them have never had the gospel break through. And so we send missionaries into these, these satanic infested areas. They need prayer. They can't, we, don't, we don't wrestle with, against flesh and blood. When Karen and I were in southern Sudan, oftentimes the area where we worked had been saturated with the gospel. But we, when we would go out of our area and, and into the bush and uh, evangelize, oftentimes we'd see manifestations of demons. It was usually in the back of the crowd, and that's where my, I parked my motorcycle. And I would always tell Karen, you got to go back here and stay with the motorcycle. I need to stay up here. And so, but normally during the Jesus film or something, there would be a manifestation of demons. Listen, we're sending people into demonically held areas. And you say, well, that's over there. No, that's in Santa Barbara, right? That's in New York City. I believe as, as far as further we get away from the gospel in this country, the more demonic manifestations we're going to see. It may be covered up by drugs, psychotropic drugs, but I think we'll see it more and more the further we get away. The missionary, secondly, is, faces many frustrations. Many frustrations. Language, customs and cultures, familiar or unfamiliar food, I should say lack of privacy, lack of results, visa problems. You know, when the missionary writes back and says, pray that I can get my visa, that doesn't mean a charge card, okay? That means that's a document that allows him to stay in that country. And it's like you get a missionary that gets his visa renewed and he has to immediately begin doing it again. Just the frustration. Language, uh, customs and culture. And, and by the way, culture shock isn't just a one or two month thing. It lasts over and over and keeps on new, something new every day, just a way of doing things. Even where the Blooms are in New York City, they're in a different culture. 
though they're in America, they're ministering to a different culture. He shared some of that um, Friday night. Missionary faces many frustrations. The missionary has need of self-knowledge. Flesh will come out under pressure. You know, like what's in a tea bag. You've heard me say that when you put a tea bag down in hot water, what's inside that bag comes out. I'll tell you what, the missionary sometimes have, have, have issues and uh, they don't know how to walk in the spirit and then they get in the, on the mission field and the flesh manifests itself. Take my word for it. Oh my, I've, I've ruined my testimony in front of nationals before and had to apologize publicly to a bunch of people I didn't even know. But because I just, I just lost it, you know. And it's just it's a frustration. Need of self-knowledge, pride, uh, the pride of race and nationality. You know, Americans tend to be proud, proud people, patriots. So I think that's okay. But I want to tell you something this morning. God's not an American, okay? And we are not, we are not exporting democracy. We are there to preach the gospel. And, and the gospel transcends all cultures, praise God. But the, the selfishness, the lack of self-discipline, all of these things. Pray this for a missionary that they'll, they'll learn to deal with self and put self where it needs to be to die daily the missionary faces loneliness sometimes they're the only ones on the field or they may feel like they're the only ones on the field missionary must remember the meaning of being a missionary that they're servants of jesus christ i think we treat missionaries right we should treat missionaries right as they travel around and we 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 treat them right and honorable but when they go to the field, oftentimes they are not treated like that. But they have to remember that they're servants of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that. By the way, all of these we need to remember. You know, when I pray for our missionaries and I pray some of these things for them, I pray it for myself as well. The missionary needs stability, spiritual stability, mental stability, emotional stability. One of the devil's greatest tools is depression. I'm not a naturally depressed person. But there were times that depression, it's real. It just, it, it, it just gets on you. And you know it's satanic. You maybe know something brought it on or whatever, but you just, you got to, you just, there were times when I'd say, Karen, pray that somebody prays for us right now. Mm, depression. The missionary's insight needs to be sharpened. They need wisdom dealing with nationals. Our culture. Our way of dealing with things isn't the same as their way of dealing with things. I'll give you a couple of examples. I was in a pastor's meeting one time. I was conducting a pastor's meeting in a different city from ours, and I didn't know a lot of the guys. I knew one or two of the preachers that were there. And during the Q&A time, this one guy says, he says, uh, uh, I have a question. He says, I have three wives, and what should I do? And I said, God help me. Pray one of them. Pray one of them quickies, right? I said, "Are you saved?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Are you a pastor?" He said, "No." I said, "Well, that's a good thing because <laughs> it's very clear you can't do that in pastor." Okay, but whatever you think that means in their context, that meant okay. I said, "I tell you what, just pick one." You say, "Was that a good answer?" I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good answer or not, but I gave it out. I prayed for wisdom, and I said, just pick one. If you've got kids with the rest of them, support the kids, but you better just pick one. Make sure she's saved. Pick one, and then go. You know, 
wow. I mean, where's that at in the Bible? Well, I know it's in the Bible, but the certain culture. You see, sometimes culture, you don't, we don't change the culture. The missionary doesn't change the culture unless the Bible contradicts the culture, and then you change the culture. Let the Bible change the culture. One time, Karen was called to a hut of a very sick woman. She had malaria that was, I mean, it was, it was, it had gone to the next level. There's a, there's a certain type of malaria called black water fever that can kill you. Malaria will kill you if it's not treated. It's a parasite. Uh, anyway, this lady was, was dying, and they had put food on the table. The flies recovered the food. She wasn't touching her food. Karen was called. One of our preachers called Karen and said, we need your help to get this lady to the hospital. What do you think we should do? Well, normal American would walk in there and say, I think she needs to get to the hospital. Let's load her up. Uh, you know, Dennis, go get the car. We'll take her to the hospital. But you couldn't do that. You'd violate them. You'd offend the whole culture. You wouldn't do that. So she went outside of the hut after she realized this lady's dying. She needs to get to the hospital. She went outside and started clapping her hands. It, the, a village meeting came. And Karen had to present to those, those people, the men of the, the, of the village, that this lady was sick. She couldn't look them in the eye. That's not acceptable for a woman to look a man in the eye. She had to tell them kind of what was going on with this woman. And I believe that, that it, you know, make it, make it believe, like it's their idea, but my recommendation would be for you men to get her to the hospital. And they got her to the hospital and saved her life. And she was pregnant, very pregnant. And I remember her being at church a couple of weeks later and said, hey, Mama Karen, look at my baby. See, but see, there's a way that you could handle that. God gave my wife wisdom to handle that in that certain circumstance. You offend that, if, if number one, if you would have said, hey, get her to the hospital, and maybe she, was, she died in transport, guess whose fault it is? It's her fault in that country. See, so God has to give us wisdom. We need to pray for our missionaries to have wisdom. If they're in, that's, that's just in my context. I could tell you numerous stories, but that's just in our context. The missionary insight needs to be sharpened. They need to walk with the Lord and have wisdom. By the way, the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives it to us. The missionary needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit because much damage can be done in the flesh. And I speak from experience. One flesh moment, you can ruin years of work. Missionaries, along with that, we need to pray that our missionaries have a close walk with Jesus. The pressure's there. The pressure from the world. The immorality is there. Missionaries are taken off the field every week because of immoral issues. They, they, didn't, they didn't walk with the Lord somewhere along the line. Pray that they'll have a walk with God. Pray that the missionary will have good people skills. Sometimes that just means knowing how to get along with your wife and kids as a missionary. Good people skills. The missionary needs good health. And that's kind of a given. But there's so much sickness now, so much in the world, that pray for the missionary's health. Pray that they stay well. Again, some of these third world, fifth world, where we live, the tenth world country, lots of sickness. And uh, just pray that, that God would, would keep our missionaries healthy. Pray as you would pray for yourself. Pray for them faithfully. Pray for them when you're woke up in the middle of the night and they come to mind. Pray for them with the authority you have in Jesus Christ. S.D. Gordon said, The greatest thing anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. It's not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. There must be prayer involvement. There must be heart involvement. Number three, there must be life involvement. 
There must be life involvement. Acts chapter number six, or Acts chapter number nine, verse six, when Saul of Tarsus gets saved on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, 6, and he, trembling and not astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Rise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know, when Paul got saved, Saul here, later Paul, when he got saved, he said to the Lord, What do you want me to do? And at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I fought the fight. I have finished my race, my course. He, he had done what God told him to do. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus lifted up on his throne. And when he saw the Lord, he saw himself. He said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Then one of the angels took a coal from off the altar and it touched his lips. And I believe that is a picture of him being saved. And then he, he is... He is transformed in the first thing. And then he heard the Lord say, Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. You know, there needs to be life involvement. God's still calling people to go to the field. There's less missionaries today. Brother Micah gave the, the statistics. Less missionaries today than there was 50 years ago. But God hasn't quit calling. We need to be praying that some of our young people would be called to the mission field to be called to the regions beyond, that God would call people out of this church to go to serve God. What better way could you live your life, spend your life, invest your life than on the mission field serving the Lord Jesus Christ? I carry this letter with me in my mission files. Karen befriended a lady in, when I pastored in Louisiana, and she came, started coming uh, to our church. She was retired. She was... Um, in her 80s at that time and and then uh she wasn't with us very long but uh, then her family moved her back to the east coast and then she wrote me a letter one day this is dated may 18 2000 and uh she we were sending her cassette tapes because she loved the preaching she loved the services she thanked me for that and then she says i know the best time of my life was when i was in college and felt the call to serve god i did for a little while but I did not continue to follow him. I know I can't go back now in my life, but from this time forward, I want to serve him with all my heart and soul. I'm not worthy of God's love, but I praise his name that he's given me another chance. The things of this world are not worth the price. I know the only thing that means anything is God and his promise of eternal life. Here she says, pray, please pray for me that God will forgive me for not doing the will of God all these years. She told us that God had called her as a missionary, to be a missionary. And her mother said, no, 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 you need to pursue your nursing degree, and you need to make money. You can do a lot better for that. You know, you can do it that way. And here she is at the end of her life realizing that she had wasted her life. Don't waste your life. There needs to be life involvement. There needs to be heart involvement. There needs to be prayer involvement. There needs to be life involvement. Lastly, there needs to be financial involvement. Financial involvement. Look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, we know this verse, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. Isn't that a promise? Hey, I can say this morning to anybody here, if you've never called on the name of the Lord for salvation, you call 
He'll save you. Praise God. How then, verse 14, shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How shall they preach except they be sent? You see, so you turn that around backwards. In order for someone to call, they have to hear. In order for someone to hear, they have to have a preacher tell them. It may be a paper missionary, praise God. Hey, by the way, paper missionaries' tracks are a great way. I mean, they, you, they, don't, they don't have to be fed. They don't, have, they don't get sick. <laughs> All the, no, there's message right there. But they have to hear, and they have to hear from a preacher. Somebody's got to buy those tracks. Somebody's got to send these preachers. I've seen these boys eat, man. The little boys, they eat, right? I mean, they, they put down the grub, right? So the gospel is free, but it costs money to get there. And there's got to be financial involvement. And we need to be involved in this. There are four ways, at least four ways to give. One is rationally. Try to figure out what you can afford to give. The second one is emotionally. Some people get emotionally worked up at a missions conference. They say, oh, man, i got to give, and I'll, I want to give that. And, you know, it just fizzled out, kind of like a Roman candle. Just, phew, go out like that. Then there's grudgingly. Well, I know it needs to be done, so I might as well get her done so the preacher will quit talking about it. That's grudgingly. Or, lastly, it's biblically. We want to be biblical givers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for just a moment as we close out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We read a verse in Sunday school out of chapter 8. But there's a way to give biblically. Paul is using the churches of Macedonia, who we heard about last night, that were saved during his, the people that were, the churches that he started that were saved that were started during his missionary journeys, they were giving to him, they were missionary support to him, and Paul's using them as an example to the church of Corinth to get involved in giving. Verse 1, moreover, chapter 8, verse 1, moreover, brethren, we do uh, to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You'll notice grace through this chapter. Grace. God gave them grace in order to give. So the way we give biblically is to give by grace. One of the ways is, is to give by grace. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. These people were hurting. They knew how to hurt. They knew how to shout. And they were broke. <laughs> That's what they were. But yet God used them as an example to give. Here's how they did it. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. To their power is giving, and I believe it could be a sacrificial gift. But beyond your power is faith. Give you a good illustration. To my power would be to walk me to walk over there and pick up that piano bench, and though it would hurt my back, I could do that and carry it out the back door. That's to my power. Beyond my power would be for me to pick up the piano and walk it out. No way. Well, it would be by faith, right? It would be a miracle. And that's what he's saying. He says, so these people, they didn't have squat, really, but they gave beyond their power. How does, how does that happen? By faith. 
That's why it's called a faith promised offering. By faith, we ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God gives you a figure. You do it, and by faith, God provides. God takes care and meets your needs. So it's by faith. And then he goes on. He says in verse 5, And this they did, as we hoped for, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know, here's the something. And God just interjects this. He doesn't want your money as much as he wants you. There needs to be a personal sacrifice before there is ever a, a giving of your money. God says, oh, well, they talk, they, don't come in here and say this is all they talk about is money because really this is about the only time all year I talk about it. Verse 6, and so much we desire Titus that as he had begun, he would also finish this same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and in your love, see that you abound in this grace also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So grace is mentioned, faith is mentioned, and then love. I skip verse 8, but look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the frowardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Here is one way you can prove your love to Jesus is being involved in missions giving. We sing, oh, how we love Jesus. Prove it. That's what he's saying. It's one way we can prove the sincerity of our love. So there's grace involved. There's faith involved. There's love involved. And God is able. Listen, God gives through us and does exceeding abundantly what we would ever think. One more verse. Go back to Luke chapter 16. And I'm so glad Brother Chad didn't use this last night. Because I'm like... Oh, brother, I, I thought you were going to end your verse with end your sermon with this, but I'll end it with this, right? Luke chapter 16 is one of my favorite verses on missions giving. Luke 16, and it's a parable the Lord's talking about, the unjust steward. But in verse 9, Jesus says something that's just amazing. He says this, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Mammon in the Bible is money, okay? He says, make, your, make to yourselves friends. Use your money to make friends, eternal friends. How do you do that? By giving to missions. By giving to, to the blooms, and they win Chinese people to the Lord that you'll never meet till you get to glory. But look what it says. It goes on to say, that when ye fail, that means when you die, they, the people that you made friends with using your money to get people to heaven, they may receive you into their everlasting habitations. That's good. You get what he's saying? He says when you use your money to further the gospel, you are investing. He goes on, and uh, this is the passage where he says, you know, to occupy till I come. Do his business. I come. He says it over on over in, in Luke 19. But we, we do his business. You use your funds that God's given you. And God's blessed us, folks. God has blessed us, okay? We're, we're, we're very rich, okay? God has blessed us. When you use your funds to get the gospel to this world, to get people to heaven, that's what it's all about. One of these days, they will receive you into their everlasting habitation. 
And I just read the Bible. I just take the Bible literal. I believe that, that one day, Mr. Yo, or Mr. Give me a, give me a good Chinese name. Chong? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't hear very well. Chong. Okay. Okay. He, has he been saved recently? Give me a guy that's been saved. Give me a guy that's... Okay, Mr. Gene. Okay, he got saved, right? And we may never meet him on this earth. But one of these days, I'm going to be walking down Hallelujah Avenue, and he, he's going to say, Hey, Dennis, come here. And I'll say, Yes, sir. And he'll say, I'm Mr. Ying, and I was saved in New York City through the Bloom's ministry. Come into my everlasting habitation, my mansion, uh-huh, John 14, come into my mansion and let's have some tea or some coffee, right? Maybe Chinese people start drinking coffee when they get to heaven. I don't know if they drink now. No. But anyway, hey, come in and, and they will receive you into their everlasting habitation. I, I want to spend a lot of time doing that. I want to give a lot so I can have a lot of people up there that will receive me. How about just, I want to spend my days going to people that I invested my life in, never met them, but I invested through our dear missionaries to get the gospel of this world. Man, there needs to be financial involvement. There needs to be heart involvement. If, you're, if your heart is not in getting the gospel of this world, ask God to give you a heart for this world. There needs to be prayer involvement. Maybe God will speak to your heart about taking your prayer life for our missionaries to a new level. There needs to be life involvement. Maybe God's calling you to give your life in service for God. And there needs to be financial involvement. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Faith Promise Commitment Cards. This is for the members of our church. If you're visiting, this is not for you to participate in, but everybody should have received one of this. At the end of the service, after the invitation, we'll, we'll make sure you get this. But this is between you and God. But during this invitation time, I want you to pray about what God would have you to do. And then we're going to take these up at the end of this service. Lord, have your will and way in every life we pray. Be glorified. In our church, help us to do more than we've ever done for the cause of world missions. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. If you need to come and pray, feel free to come. As a, a pianist plays, God's spoken to your heart. Come today.